and hope this will be a help and a benefit to you. Uh, just before we get started, we have an opportunity to um, buy some Bibles. Now you say, why would we ever buy some Bibles? We got an email this week um, of a church in Alberta that does a lot of prison ministry. And they said that the Bibles in the prison are usually very, very tiny print, not very good quality Bibles, and definitely some different versions. And so they wanted to buy some King James Version Bibles that are very high quality, good for the men in the prison that really wanted to get into the Word of God. And so we have an opportunity to buy some of those. And so we're going to take an offering this week. And then next week, if you want to put into that, um, it's $33 per Bible. Okay, so you might think that's really expensive. That's not really expensive. Uh, my, my first major Bible I owned was $150, okay, just to put things in perspective. Okay, so if you want to give to that, you can e-transfer that. Just put in the notes, prison Bibles, if you want to drop it in the offering box. That's an opportunity for you to do that. Again, just mark it on the envelope that it's for prison Bibles. This is an awesome opportunity. These guys are saying that in the prisons, there are a lot of men who are not allowed to have their phones or any access to their phones or anything. And so they have a ton of time to study the Word of God, and they want to. And so we want to provide that opportunity. Uh, we have a ministry called Bearing Precious Seed. If you've never been out there, I challenge you to come out there at some point where we put Bibles together and we send them all across Canada. And we're trying to put one in every home in Canada. And so we're trying to be able to do that. And so this is just another opportunity for us to serve in this way. And so we want you to be able to do that. So if you're interested in that, again, just mark that on your offering or in your e-transfer notes. Uh, on a, on a, obviously, that's a serious note, but on a very serious note, I received this prayer request uh, from the stewards this morning. Uh, it says this, please pray for my niece, Samantha. She is seven months pregnant with her first child. Her husband died suddenly through the night on Wednesday. He was only 31 years old. They would have celebrated their first anniversary yesterday. And so she's devastated and not doing well at all. And obviously, that's a very difficult time for them. So would you please pray for Samantha at this time? Obviously, that's not good for the baby to be going through the stress of these things. So I want everybody, as I'm going to lead us in prayer, but we talked last week about prayer in the church. And I want the church to gather together today and pray for Samantha. We don't know her but we can pray for her. And so, and again, I don't want it just to stop here. I want it to keep going. So let's pray, and I'd ask you to join me today. Father, please help us, our hearts break, for Samantha and this little baby, having their daddy and their husband gone. Father, I can't imagine what she must be going through right now. Would you lift her up? Would you strengthen her? Would you give her the necessary means to get through this time. I pray that you bring the right people along that would help her, that would give her that boost that she needs, give her a helping hand up. Father, help her not to have to go through this alone. I pray that you would help her family to be there and for other people to come alongside and just be a part. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunities that you give us in life. But Father, this one hurts. And I know you have a reason. I know you've got a plan. And uh, we, we know you're in control. But Father, it is hard for us to see past the uh, hurt that, that this one brings. And so we do pray that you would help Samantha and this baby. Help everything to run smoothly with the pregnancy. And I just pray that, Father, you would give her uh, freedom and grace from this. We love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins that we might have hope of an eternal life with you even though things go wrong on this earth. Father, if there's one person here today that doesn't know that, I pray that today would be that day. Father, just overnight... 
this young man passed away, young. And Father, I just pray that you would uh, work in our lives today. We love you. Thank you for all you do for us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take your Bibles with me and turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Let me ask you a question to get started this morning. How do you come to church? How do you come to church? Okay. Uh, I'm not asking by car or plane or motorcycle. That's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking how you're dressed. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking what's your attitude when you come to church? Are you coming ready to receive something? Or are you coming just to be here? Are you here just to sit and enjoy and enjoy the fellowship around? Or are you ready to make some sort of decision? This morning, I'm going to ask you to prepare yourself to make a very important decision. Again, I think if we're honest, most of us come to church ready to receive something, but we're not going to make any major life decisions. Okay? I want to prepare you By the end of this message, I believe the Lord wants us to make a major life-altering decision. Okay? You may not be prepared for that, but I want you to prepare yourself now. I want you to start thinking about that. I want you to spend a little bit of time working yourself to that. Maybe you came today, you're either resistant to any change, or you're really not thinking about any change. Either way, today, you will make some sort of decision. You realize that. If you come and you hear a message, and you tune out the message, you know what you've done? You've made a decision. You made a decision to not listen to the message. If you come and you hear the message, and you are led to a decision, but you do not make a decision, guess what you've done? You've made a decision. You've decided not to make a decision. So my goal for you is to do neither one of those things, because that's truthfully not helpful to us. Today I want you to decide that you're going to make a life-altering decision today. This truly could change the trajectory of your life if you allow it. By the way, it's not because I'm going to preach to you some special message. This is just the passage of Scripture that the Lord has led us to today, and truthfully, if you'll allow it, you can make a decision. So last week in Acts chapter 12, we saw church praying. We saw church praying. And I hope that you will be considered a praying church. But I want you to notice what the church is doing this week in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, look with me in verse 1. The Bible says this. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, And Saul, verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So what are they doing? Anybody notice it? Verse 2, it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. So previous, they were praying. Now they're doing, they're serving, and they're fasting. 
They are busy working for the Lord and they're fasting. Now, I love this. Now, fasting is only a two-word phrase here. Notice again, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Just seems trivial, doesn't it? Just two words, just kind of thrown in there, interjected in there. But I want you to understand this. This seems insignificant. However, it sets the stage for what happens next. It sets the stage for their spiritual posture, if you will. It sets the stage. They have a spiritual attitude. They're seeking the Lord's will. When you're fasting, what you're doing is you're denying yourself physical food. I'm not going to eat for a certain amount of time. It could be one meal. It could be an entire day. It could be a week. It could be two weeks. It could be up to 40 days we see fast in the Bible. So this is not just some trivial thing. I want you to understand they are seriously submitting themselves to what the Lord would want them to do. They are seeking for what the Lord would want them to do. I want you to stop right now. I'm going to give you just a moment of silence. I want you to think in your mind, I want to have a posture that seeks what the will of the Lord is today. I'm just going to give you a moment of silence to do that. Some of us are busy doing for the Lord. We're busy helping people. We're busy ministering. We're busy uh, reaching out to our community. We're busy doing all kinds of things. But can I ask you, are you seeking the will of the Father in your life? Are you seeking what God would have you do next? These people are busy Working for the Lord. They're not necessarily working for a church. They're not necessarily working for the pastor. They're working for the Lord. But at the same time, they're seeking for direction. Hey, God, I know that this is what I'm supposed to do, but what else will you have me to do? What else will you have me to do? What is our spiritual attitude? What is our spiritual attitude? Again, often... We will come into church, we will live our lives with a proud, puffed out chest saying, look at what I do. Look at what I do to accomplish things for the Lord. Or, should we be humble and even available? Most of us have closed off the idea that I, will, I can't do anything else because of what I'm already doing. But these men show very quickly that you can minister to the Lord and fast and have a posture of, God, what will you have me do next? I know I'm serving right now, but what's the next thing that you want me to do? Again, maybe some of us have walked into this place with somewhat of a chip on our shoulder. You might be saying, I'm upset about whatever you might be upset about, and no one is going to move me. Nobody's going to change my mind on this. Well, let me encourage you. You can be like that if you want. But the only place that will get you is further down the bitterness hole. As far as you'll go. These men were serving. They were asking the Lord what else could be done. I want you to notice a key part of this. 
Notice verse 1, the Bible says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch. You see, we've shifted focus just a little bit. Most of the talking that we've done and the preaching that I've done has been about the church at Jerusalem, where the church started. The people were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were getting saved. And this has transitioned a little bit. Now we're talking about the church at Antioch. The 12 apostles are at the church in Jerusalem. And these five men were the leadership at the church of Antioch. Again, you can see now there, was at, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And it names them Barnabas, which we've talked about, Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So I want you to see that these are just all kinds of different people, different races, different upbringings, different cultures, all kinds of different people, and they are the leadership of the church at Antioch. So we've seen the church established in Jerusalem. Then we saw the church scattered throughout the region. And those churches start churches. And now we see a church in Antioch that is really truly beginning to bustle and break at the seams. And so basically what we're seeing is we're seeing the church extended. We've seen the church established. We've seen the church scattered. And now we're seeing the church extended. Let's look at Acts 13, verse 2 again. The Bible says, And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, watch this, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Verse 3. When they had fasted again and prayed again and laid their hands on them, what did they do? They sent them away. Last week I made this statement. Satan is real you don't believe that today you need to because it is true but this week I want to make a completely opposite statement and no it's not Satan is not real okay in case you were thinking that here's the statement the Holy Spirit is real the Holy Spirit is real and the, here's what the Bible says the Bible says that the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us and he is working in us and through us and guiding us and directing us and molding us and shaping us into the image of Jesus Christ he is for lack of a better phrase God in us the Holy Spirit is real and he's working in you now in our story, the Holy Spirit does something. The Holy Spirit wants to extend the church. The Holy Spirit wants to move the church along. The Holy Spirit doesn't want the church to get stagnant. He wants to move it along. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit speaks definitively. And again, we don't know if this is audible. We don't know if this is the leading of the Holy Spirit. We don't understand, know what this is. But it's obvious that the Holy Spirit is saying words like this. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. He wants to use Saul and Barnabas to begin the process of extending the church even further. It's the work Whereunto I have called them. It was the Lord's work. The work that the Lord wanted them to do. Again, please understand, this was not a bunch of people in the church that got together and said, hey, Paul and Barnabas, you guys need to leave. It's not what happened. This was not the pastor getting up and saying, all right, boys, it's time for you to get on out of here. It's not what's happening. 
This is the Holy Spirit of God working, moving, leading, calling them to something specific. So this was not their work. It was God's work. Very important. We would do well to remember that we work for an audience of one. Let me say that one more time. We would do well to remember that we work for an audience of one. There will be many people that think my job is to please all of you people. And if you're smart, you'll know that's impossible. The fact of the matter is I'm not here to please anyone except for him. And likewise, you should be as well. Listen, please don't do something to please me. Don't do it. You will, you will be sadly disappointed. Please God. It's God's work that we're called to, not my work, not your work, not this body's work. It's God's work. We are His body and we're to do His work. There, there may be a time where I come along and I would ask you if you would be willing to serve or do something in the church. I have said, and I will continue to say to you if I ask you that, please don't do this for me. In fact, I would hate for you to do it for me. Please do this because this is something the Lord is leading you to do. I'm just somebody who would ask. I'm not too scared to ask somebody. If I see some, some, some strengths in a certain area, I will ask you, but please don't do it for me. Do it for the cause of Jesus Christ. Do it because that's something the Lord would want you to do. And here, Saul and Barnabas are an integral part of the church at Antioch. Read it again, verse 1. Now, there were at the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And it names them Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul. There are these five men integral Parts of the church. They are part of the leadership of the church at Antioch. Surely they can't just get up and walk away. Surely they can't just leave. Please don't miss this. Write this down, in fact. The church, which is, by the way, the people, is only extended when the people, the church, extend past their comfort zone. Let me say it again. The church is only extended when the people extend past their comfort zone. This is not only focused on the comfort zone of Barnabas and Saul. Would it not be hard for Barnabas and Saul to leave the church where they're ministering? We happen to just have somebody who just did that. Pastor Levi and Aloma left our church. You know how difficult a decision that is? To leave a church that they know that they've been here for several years and go to another. It's a big deal. This would be uncomfortable. This would be hard for Barnabas and Saul. But hear me, but also for the rest of the church. This would have been difficult for the church at Antioch. Both the church and Saul and Barnabas, or what are they doing? They're stepping out in faith. Both of them are making a sacrifice. The church is willing to give away two high-capacity leaders and step out in faith, in obedience to God for the furtherance of the purposes of Jesus Christ. And these two high-capacity leaders, what are they doing? They're leaving the comforts 
of the church that they know, an already established church, and they're going to, out to try to establish more churches. It'd be uncomfortable. This is a huge step of faith for both. By the way, if you know anything about the book of Acts, and if you don't, let me inform you just a little bit. Both parties prospered. Both Paul and Saul and Barnabas prosper. They never go without. They constantly had the Lord's supply. Churches kept supplying for them, and they constantly had what they needed. And by the way, the church at Antioch prospered. The Bible says that the, the Christians were first called Christians at Antioch. The church is prospering. The church is growing. The church is moving forward. Both parties prosper. You know, sometimes we get to thinking that if we don't stay in our comfort zone, everything will fall flat. Everything will fall flat. If we don't stay where we are, if we don't stay in our comfort zone, everything's going to fail. You know why we think that, don't we? Because we think that everything is based on us. I don't like to do this, but I'll let you in on my mind, and that may scare some of you. Let's be honest with you. The moment Pastor Levi and Aloma told me that they were getting ready to leave, you know what I thought? Our church is going to go downhill fast. You know why? Because all I could focus on was how talented he was and how untalented I feel. But did you notice what I just said? It was based on two worthless, truly, worthless men. You see, the reality of the matter is this. This church is not about me. I said this last week. If I die and I go away or I get called to some other place, listen, this church ought never to die because it's not based on me. It's not based on Pastor Levi. It's not based on Pastor Hall. And it's not based on any single one of you. It's based on a collective whole. And guess what? God is the head of this church. And so this church ought to keep moving forward. It's not about me. It's about the Holy Spirit's work here. And so, yes, it's a step of faith. Yes, it's hard. We think we can't step out of our comfort zone, but hear me, this is God's work, not our work. So sometimes God will call you to step out of your comfort zone. Listen, you're not going to fail. Step out. Trust him. The Lord is leading you to step out. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to what? Live happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Obey and let him fulfill his purpose in your life. There is no way Saul would have planned his life the way that it's about to take place. <laughs> There's not one chance in his mind that he thought, this is the way I'm going to live my life. You know what Saul's plan was? Saul's plan was to simply persecute the church. You know, I'm a, I'm a Jew of the Jew. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Listen, I have it all going on as far as the Jews are concerned. And guess what? I'm going to work for them, and I'm going to persecute the church, and I'm going to eradicate the church, and I'm going to get them out of here because they don't belong here. That was his goal. That was his mindset. And by the way, he was good at it. Everybody knew him. In fact, remember, the disciples did not want to have anything to do with him because he had a reputation of persecuting the church. 
Saul would have never expected to be the one persecuted. Over the next several chapters, we're going to watch as Saul gets his name turned to Paul, and Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, and Paul is shipwrecked, and Paul is beaten, and Paul is whipped, and Paul is stoned and left for dead, and Paul is all kinds of things. Never once did he think, I'm going to be the one persecuted. So he would have never planned his life this way. Yet when the Lord led him to do something, we see in verse 3, they, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. All right? God's calls on your life. Go. And they go. And Paul did what the Lord had called him to do. By the way, this was the greatest thing Saul or Paul could have ever done with his life. Much of the New Testament is written by him. Much of what we understand about the Bible comes from the Apostle Paul. So many of us sit here today and we have plans for our lives. We have things that we want to accomplish. And if we're honest, the only time we consult God is when our plans fail. And we say, oh God, please help my plans to work. Oh God, get, get my plans back on track. Get me back to where I want to be. That's the only time we consult God is to get back to our plans. But hear me, God has a greater purpose for your life. God has something far more meaningful for you than our plans. Something far greater. In fact, Proverbs 16, 9, look at this verse. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. You see, a man's heart devises his way. And listen, I'm not trying to say that's wicked and vile and we never think about which direction we're going to go what i'm trying to say is we can devise our way but let the lord direct our steps the steps of a good man are what ordered by the lord everything we do ought to be ordered by the lord so yes think about where you're going think about what you'd like to accomplish but let the lord order your steps let the lord direct your way this is the thing that most of us miss we can plan out our lives, but we never let God in on the picture. But he is the one who wants to give us something far greater than we could ever have had on our own. But here's the thing, we have to allow him to direct us. He wants to. He desperately wants to. In fact, I would beg to say that he's already tried to direct you. He's already tried to show you the path that you should take. And you've either denied him or walked on the path a little bit and come back. Or you're dead smack dab on the path right now. We have to allow him to direct us. We have to allow him to lead us. But we have to constantly have a posture of, okay, God, what's next? Okay, God, what's next? Tell me which direction to go. By the way, I want you to notice this with me. Look at verse 4. And so they sent them away, verse 3. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, okay, that's important. What did they do? They departed unto Seleucia. And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. We'll find out later this is John Mark. This is important. I want you to notice here, they go to Seleucia, Cyprus, Salamis. 
Saul's life before Jesus Christ was to do what? Travel from city to city, from house to house, hailing men and women, binding them, and bringing them back to Jerusalem to go to prison. That was his job. That's what he was good at. That's what he was zealous for. Instead, God redeemed Saul's life. And now Saul is traveling from city to city, house to house. But instead of hailing men and women, what is he doing? He's entering into those houses, proclaiming the hope of Jesus Christ. And heaven is their home. Listen, God doesn't always disrupt your life. God doesn't always take you out of the positions that you're in and move you completely into something different. Sometimes he just takes you where you are and redirects you. Sometimes he just takes you doing what you're really good at and redeeming that and using it for his purpose. Most of us think, oh my goodness, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work we're on to. Oh my goodness, now I have to go to Africa. I got to go live in a, in a hut somewhere. Okay, listen, that may be true. But most likely, you'll probably enjoy that. Like, sign me up, right? I'm a type of person that would like that. My wife is not. So the Lord's really going to have to work on her heart. <laughs> but listen, that's not always the case. You see, here's the reality of the situation. Every single one of us was made for more. We have a purpose in life. And yet, here we have a church in St. Thomas. Not in Africa. So does that mean everybody that sits here today is just here? Not a chance. Every person that sits here today has a work Whereunto you have been called. And sometimes it's what you're good at. Some of you are really good at plumbing. Some of you are really good at hauling stuff. Some of you are really good at working on things. Some of you are really good at knitting. Some of you are really good at crocheting. Again, I don't know what girls do, but there you go. Whatever you got, ladies. I want you to get this because this will change the trajectory of your life. It may not be Africa. It may not be some remote place. It might be right here, right now, where you sit, doing what God has called you to do. Listen, write this down. God can take your plans and use them for his purpose. Mark it down. Write it down. God can take your plans and use them. For his purpose, Paul was traveling house to house, hailing men and women, casting them into prison. God takes that, he redeems it, he spends a little bit of time training him, and what does he do? Sends them house to house, city to city, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and bringing people into the kingdom of heaven. That's what God can do. So as we look to the rest of the book of Acts, you know what we're going to see? We're going to see the many, 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 many places that Paul the Apostle goes. But listen, we're not just reading a travel blog here. We're literally seeing the cover removed off of an everyday, regular guy's life. And seeing how God can redeem this one man's life and use it for his purpose. And the same can be said of you.
we, we look at Paul the Apostle and go, wow. I could never moan up to that. You're right. Nor could he. It took the Holy Spirit of God. And that same Holy Spirit of God that was active in Saul's life is the same Holy Spirit of God that's active currently right now in your life. The question is how much are we willing to give in to him? How much are we willing to surrender to him? How much are we willing to say, hey, whatever you want? Many of us are already doing what God wants us to do. Let me ask this question. Are we doing it to foster our plans? Or are we doing it to further his purpose? It's a question only you can answer. David Gusick, a commentator, said this. You can't really say yes to God's call on your life until you can say no to the things that will keep you from that call. Think about this. We have only so much money in our bank accounts, don't we? Oh, sure, you can make some more here and there. But as a regular rule, we pretty much have a consistent same amount of income every week or every two weeks or however you're paid. Now let me ask you a question. What do you do with that? There'll be many of us that sit here this morning and say, oh, I wish I could give $33 for a Bible. But I can't. But I can spend $33 a week on coffee. And if you spend $33 a week on coffee, listen, I don't care. It's not the point. The point I'm trying to make is most of us will say yes to what we want and we have no room to say yes to what God wants. Does that make sense? Most of us will say yes to what we want and what reality is what we're doing is we're saying no to what God wants. In order to say yes to what God wants, we have to say no to what we want. There might be someone here that's thinking, if I can just get to a certain place in my job, if I can just reach a certain level, if I can just find a certain level in my business, or if I can just reach this certain spot in life, if I can just get married, or if I can just have my first baby, or if I can just get retired, or you fill in the blank of, I just want to get to here. Then I'll be ready to listen for the call of Jesus Christ. Listen. There are many people that think that. You might want to get yourself situated in life before you ever make any big decisions for Christ. But the problem with that is we're saying yes to ourselves. And we're saying no to Christ. We're saying God, I'm more important than what you want to accomplish in life. God, my plan is more important than your purpose. And if we do that, we forget why we're here. We forget why we're here on this earth, here, April, or excuse me, August the 20th, 2023. Why are you here? Our culture keeps telling us we're here to do what feels good to us. Our culture keeps telling us, you do you. Culture keeps telling us, be successful. Be whatever you want to be. But God has placed us here for his purpose. If God didn't have a plan for us on this earth, the moment we accepted him as personal savior, he would have raptured us out of here and we'd be gone. 
But he's got a purpose for us. He's got a plan for us. And that is to benefit the entire world. The entire world needs to know about Jesus Christ. There was an article written for the Harvard Business Review in July of, listen to this, 1960. Harvard Business Review, July of 1960. The man who wrote it was a man by the name of Theodore Levitt. It had the title of Marketing Myopia. For those who didn't know, and I am the person who didn't know, myopia is a medical term for nearsightedness. In this article, Theodore Levitt claims that some people do not understand what business they are in. For instance, he said, the railroad is not in trouble today because the need for passenger and freight transportation declined. Not because people, transportation declined. This is, in fact, it grew. People needed to get different places more so today than they did then. However, the railroad is in trouble today because they assumed that they were in the railroad business. Instead, they should have thought we're in the transportation business. With the rise of cars, trucks, and airplanes, it rendered the railroad business almost obsolete. Instead of investing more heavily in fighting the transportation business so that they could hold on to the railroad business, they should have been investing in cars. They should have been investing in trucks. They should have invested in airplanes. They should have realized that they were not in the railroad business, but in the transportation business. Levitt said this, Hollywood almost went completely under with the introduction of the television. Some of us think that would have probably been a good thing. Hollywood thought that they were in the movie business. When in reality, they were in the entertainment business. Instead of viewing the television as a threat, they should have viewed it as an opportunity to further entertainment. Hollywood actually did find out that they were not in the movie business, but they were in the entertainment business. And they are wildly successful today. The list could continue into modern day. Blockbuster, how many of you remember Blockbuster? If you're old, raise your hand. Blockbuster. Viewed themselves as a movie rental business instead of entertainment. And what are they? No longer. Taxi cabs. Taxi cabs could have been in the transportation business. Instead, they were in the taxi cab business. And now Uber has almost completely wiped them out. Again, honestly, the list could go on and on and on. And this is from the Harvard, please understand me, business review. So let me ask you today. What is the business of the church? And I mean business. Some would say the business of the church is caring for people. Some would say it's helping people through difficult life stages. Some would say the church is designed to take care of humanitarian needs. Some would say the church's job is to fight the culture. Some would say the church's job is to encourage people. Some would say the church's job is fellowship. 
The list, again, could go on and on and on. But while all of these are functions of the church, they are not the business of the church. It's easy for us to think that the church is here for us. When I'm in trouble, you better encourage me. When I'm in trouble, you better help me out. Hey, when we have this problem going on, I expect to have meals made for us every day of that week. That's the church's job. The church better not conform to culture. And so the list goes on and on and on and on. We think that the church is here for us, but we must remember that we are the church. We are the church. And we are here to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are here for a lost and dying world to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Boy, listen, we have really comfortable chairs. And I enjoy sitting in them. But if that's church, I'm getting rid of the chairs this week. It's really nice and air-conditioned in here today. And trust me when I say I love air-conditioning. But if that's the church, it's gone this week. We are the church. And we have a job to do. And the Holy Spirit is leading us to do something different. Let me ask you this question. Why are you here? What is your business? No, I didn't say, how do you make money? I mean, what is your purpose in life as a whole? If you don't have it, can I give it to you? Go with it all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. You know what? Some stayed in Jerusalem. Some stayed in Antioch. Some went to Samaria, and Paul and Barnabas, they're going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. So let me ask you, are you fulfilling your purpose where you are right now? I mean, when you go to work. I just work at a factory, or I just, just, whatever, wherever you work. I'm retired, What, what can I possibly do? Listen, some of you go to restaurants. Some of you hang out. Use that for the cause of Jesus Christ. Do it. Just get going. Just start doing it. Do the work that God has called you to do. There is nothing so thrilling as finding and living God's purpose for your life every day. Find that one thing that thrills your soul and use it to accomplish God's purpose. I can honestly say, and I know I'm weird, but I can honestly say I love my job. It thrills my soul. You say, well, that's easy. You're a pastor. Hey, you know I could get up here every week and not do the will of God? You know I could get up here every week and preach and teach my will every week. I don't want to do that. I don't ever want to do that. Listen, you're, you're, a, you're a mechanic 
you're a plumber, you're an electrician, you work in an office. Listen, you are just as important as me. You're just as important as anyone else in this church. Listen, you, we have a job to do. There is nothing more thrilling than God taking what we love to do and molding it into his purpose. And we use that for his call. Doing for him what is necessary. A church that follows the leading of the real Holy Spirit of God will never, and I mean never, lose. But the church is made up of individuals. The church is made up of individuals. So let me ask you. Will you decide to say no to your plan so you can say yes to God's purpose? Will you decide today to say no to your plan so you can say yes to God's purpose? You were made for so, so much more. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, for the opportunities that you've given us. Father, thank you for your word, for all that it's entailed, for the little details, for the incredible power that's portrayed in it. Father, today we are no better by just reading your word. We're only better when we do something about it. Help us not to just be hearers only, but be doers of the word. Father, I hope the message has been clear today that it's just a mental shift, just a spiritual attitude, just a change of direction in our hearts and minds that can truthfully be the most powerful thing that happens to us. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would work in this place as I cannot do. There's no words of man's wisdom that can do what the Holy Spirit can do, so I'm begging Today, the Holy Spirit of God will change lives. I give you the praise for it. 